Um, I want to extend my greetings to any guests or first-time visitors that are with us. The summertime allows that to happen. So we have a full room, but a lot of faces that I don't, don't recognize. So I want to take the liberty to, in that way, help you catch up with where we are in our time of teaching. Uh, last Sunday, we began a, somewhat of a mini-series that we're calling Journeying Together with Christ. We're looking at the idea of sanctification, our transformation into the image of Jesus to be more like Christ. And the way I understand, that's a journey. It's not a one and done experience. You might have had a powerful encounter with God and through that surrendered and accepted Jesus Christ and the work that he did for us. And now you are made new, redeemed, beloved, adopted into this family. That's done. That work that Jesus did made it possible. And by faith, you believe you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Amen. But now we're just getting started. Now before you is a lifelong journey of being transformed from the inside out to the likeness of Jesus so that your thinking and your actions mirror Christ, the one that you follow. You are now a disciple, if you will, a follower of Jesus Christ. You've been set apart, given a new name, Christian, and you now join a new family of believers, a community of faith, and Perhaps you've made a commitment to be a part of a local family like this one here at Solano. So you're on this journey towards the likeness of Jesus together. Our faith is personal, but again, not private. So we do this together on this journey. So we looked at that last week, and we focused on what I call the cycle of the Christian life. I believe this journey is marked by stages, three in particular. The first last week we talked about was endings, endings. Today we'll focus on waiting, all in hopes for new beginnings. Endings, waiting, new beginning. That's the cycle of the Christian life, I believe. Uh, I want to read this. One of my mentors... Um, speaks about endings, and he says, we all face many deaths within our lives. Our culture routinely interprets these losses and griefs as alien invasions and interruptions to our normal lives. The choice before us is whether or not these deaths will be terminal crushing our spirit and our life? Or will they open us up to new possibilities and depths of transformation in Christ? In other words, we all face little and big deaths every day. It's a normal thing. Death is a normal part of life. We don't like it because, again, we sometimes see it as an interruption to the normal 
you know, some bad joke. And it's hard for us to really embrace what it means to grieve well. Think about it. If death is a normal thing, rather than being so opposed to it, how do I work through it? That's called grieving. And for the believer, we can grieve with hope because death for us is only the pathway towards resurrection. But to get to the new, there is a season of waiting. It perhaps is in that season of waiting that you work through the grief. But the waiting is inevitable. As we learn how to let go of things and let them come to an end, I had some great conversations this past week with different folks and how they're facing this idea of ending, you know? Maybe for you, life has gotten so cluttered that it's even hard to di differentiate what starts, when is end, and you don't know where, you're just, just overwhelmed. My encouragement is that you slow down. Slow down and with the Spirit's help and maybe some good, mature, godly counsel, evaluate, find where you are on your journey. Perhaps the feeling of being overwhelmed is because you haven't let go. And you're trying to carry old stuff into a new season that God has for you. Relationships that you need to let go for your own health. Setting boundaries is a way to see how things should end. Setting boundaries for ourselves so that your season of waiting has real meaning. Well, today we're going to look again in Luke's gospel. And I would love for you to join me on this. We, last week we read verses 13 through 35. We're going to take up uh, now from verse 36. So if, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles that we would love to share with you. Just raise your hand. And we're on page 610. Page 610 in the Bible we're passing out. Join me in Luke chapter 24. And this morning we're going to focus on what it means to wait for the promise. Waiting for the promise. Before we start, I'm going to open in a word of prayer for this time of teaching. Inviting the Spirit of God, the author of Scripture, to open the eyes of our minds and hearts to understand what he intended and what's for us. Isn't that special, Kim? We can actually ask the author. Because, you know, many of you have a great favorite book. Imagine being able to sit down with the author to talk about what were you thinking? I mean, why did you choose, why did you make your hair blonde? I mean, what, were you, and what was that about, you know? We have that privilege every day on this journey to know intimately the author of Scripture. So my brothers that are doing this Gospel Academy on the Bible, I so urge you to join that class. Six weeks. 
for a better understanding of scripture. We'll see in our story, that's part of the issue with the disciples, their lack of understanding of scripture. May we be students of the word, but not just for knowledge's sake. That only leads to us being spiritually pride, prideful and arrogant. We want understanding. So pray with me for that. So oh, gracious God, God of all gods, Lord of all lords, King of kings, we love you. And sweet spirit of God, we ask you that you will guide our hearts and minds to deeper understanding of who you are, deeper understanding of ourselves, how we are to relate to others. Thank you for scripture and your word. Thank you for the authors, the writers, that is. Thank you for the writers that you moved upon to write. So, before I go into the story, I've got some readers that will uh, read for us these verses. Again, we're going to begin in verse 36 of chapter 24. I'm going to ask them to stand and read, and you can follow along in your Bibles as they do. While they were still talking about this... Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Amen. Amen. 
So, you ever have a favorite show that's like a series, right? And usually, uh, when they start that episode that you've been dying for, they'll start by saying, previously on, well, this is an ongoing story. And if you remember last week, we talked about how these two on their journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus were having a conversation about all the things that had happened. All the things over the past three days about Jesus being arrested and beaten, crucified and buried. And now the story is out that the body's gone. And according to the women, he's alive and he's making these cameo appearances around town and freaking everybody out. Now, for those two on the Emmaus Road, they didn't even recognize him. Walked this whole journey, I'm not sure how many miles at that point, but they didn't recognize him until they sat down at their home and taking the bread, he broke it and he blessed it. And the text says their eyes were opened to see and recognize Jesus. For whatever reason, they didn't. You know, I can't get too mad at them. I found myself on my journey many times not recognizing God's presence with me, thinking I was abandoned. Oh, God's forgotten me. It's over. This is the worst thing. You know, we go like that. And God's like, just really? I was reminded this past week, I believe it was in our, our, our home group, about that poem you probably have seen or read called Footprints, about a journeyer person on this walk, and they feel left and abandoned, alone. And when they get to a certain point, they look back and they see footprints. And they're told by God, those footprints are mine you all alone the whole time those disciples get the clue they're super excited the text says they exclaim oh how our hearts did burn within us when he spoke to us and the scripture and just being in his presence they left from their home and took another seven miles back to jerusalem with news that, hey, guys, for real, no, no, the ladies aren't crazy. To our shame, they were actually right. He is alive. And Peter, Peter could testify, yeah, I saw him. Yep, it's real. And so we, on this morning, we pick up right there as they're having that conversation, discussing again all that's been going on, trying to, I don't know, convince each other that this is real? Well, in the midst of their conversation, Jesus appears in the room. Now, I don't know if you've had that experience where, you know, someone startles you, you know, oh, Jesus Christ, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I believe that's where that, this, that came from. <laughs> it actually worked, that's funny, that's funny. Um, that's funny. Wow, God is good. Uh, so I want to look at this section of our story today um, under the title, 
<laughs> I'm sorry, I'm gonna sit down now. Um, an unexpected dinner guest. An unexpected dinner guest. These verses, beginning at verse 36, describe what, what the disciples are experiencing when Jesus out of nowhere appears. Just as quickly as he disappeared in Emmaus at that meal, he now appears behind through closed doors. You see, understand, uh, John writes in his gospel account about this same incident, the same story. And he gives us uh, some details that they were actually locked away in fear of the Jewish leaders. They were hiding out. So Jesus found them. And I'm sure they had probably like a, a knock on the door code, you know, a keyword or some, you know. Jesus broke all that, just walked right up in the room. Peace to you. Peace to you. Because I can imagine the look on their faces when he saw them, when they saw him. Throughout scripture, we see those type of moments where angels would step into a room, into a situation, and just frighten people, freak them out. Jesus does that. And to calm their anxious hearts, he blesses them with peace. Shalom. May it be well with you. I speak that to you from my heart. In every, whatever way that you're anxious this morning, about whatever that might be, finances and or parenting, your marriage, the approaching new school experience. Maybe you're going into high school. Maybe you're leaving home and you find yourself anxious. But shalom, peace to you, peace. This unexpected guest um, wanted to make sure they understood why he was there. So, He wanted to prove this. His appearance was, again, proof of the resurrection. These appearances that he's made and looking out, looking at the gospel accounts, there are probably about 17 times that Jesus made some kind of cameo appearance. Small crowds, individuals, small groups. They were all to confirm the fact that the resurrection was real. And if the resurrection is real, then all the prophecy about the Messiah was true. And your faith is not in vain. I got up. Anybody else get up that died? No. I'm the, I've conquered death. And I got the keys to the grave. It's real. But their response is, oh, I, you know. Their amazement, as it says here, their joy and amazement does show me that there's some growing understanding. There is joy. They're excited. But maybe it's the kind of excitement like this is just too good to be true. Really? That kind of amazement. But still some doubting. This is too good to be true, though. There's not that certainty like, yes, not a, yes, you did it. Woo-woo, high fives to Jesus. No. A little bit of, ah, just too good to be true. So let me prove it to you, my fellow disciples. That's what he does. He takes two opportunities to prove that he's real. First, their sight. Look at my hands and my feet. Wanting them to reference 
the nail scars in his hands and feet. This is real, right? Then he says, touch them. Don't just look. Touch. And know that I'm flesh. The second proof we see here was, got anything to eat? <laughs> That's how I would enter the room, probably. Uh, and they give him some broiled fish, and he eats it right in their presence, and they have this meal together. And he says, in other versions of the story, can flesh and blood, you know, can a spirit have flesh and blood? Do you get it? I'm, I'm real. The resurrection is real. Still with doubts in their minds, they have this meal together. And Jesus asked them at one point, why are there doubts in your minds? Uh, the better translation of that word is actually hearts, cardia in the Greek. Why do you still have doubts in your hearts? Just like the disciples in Emmaus, when Jesus called them foolish and slow to understand, there's something about our inner response to God that gets when what do you really believe? Because your actions are showing me something for real, and that's based on what you believe. Their lack of understanding, they still didn't understand fully all the things that had happened. So Jesus takes time during this meal to unpack it for them. And I call that the main course of the meal. The main course of the meal. He takes some time in this next section of verses to break down what was fulfilled. What was fulfilled in all that happened. And again, beginning with the law, with Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Jesus helps them understand all that was written about him. The text says he, he actually opens up their minds to understand scripture. Opens up their minds. He also reminded them of the message that they were then to take to the world. It had three parts. They're to talk about Christ being Messiah, the suffering Messiah. Secondly, they were to make sure that people understood that this suffering Messiah that died rose again. The resurrected Messiah. And then lastly, that now repentance and forgiveness were available to all people. And they're to take this message of good news to the world, to the nations. We call that the Great Commission. Christ's mission that he gave to his followers, the Great Commission. Matthew has a version of that, and so does Mark. This is Luke's more detailed version of what that Great Commission or our mission today is to look like to make clear that we serve the true Messiah, the one God who suffered, died, but rose again. And now because of what he's done, repentance and forgiveness is free to all people. That's the message. That's the what this is all about. 
But today I want to talk about not so much what, but the who. See, Jesus made it really clear to them in his meal with them that as they go on this commission, that before they do anything, he said, you'll be my witnesses. This is right there. You are to be my witnesses. But first, you must wait for the promise that my father will send to you, the promise. He's referring specifically to the Holy Spirit. So this mission for the disciples. Anybody had a chance to see Mission Impossible yet? Okay. We, like Ethan Hunt, (laughs) may find ourselves seated and ready. And then you receive this message from the Lord. And this mission, if you choose to accept, will require that you first wait on the Spirit of God, who will be your power to give you boldness, to give you clarity, to give you courage, to give you grace and love. Wait for the Spirit in Jerusalem were the clear instructions that Jesus gave them. Now, It needs to be said because it's often not said or taught, at least in circles where I've traveled and ministered, just the sheer importance of waiting and relying on the Holy Spirit for mission, for life. As disciples, as they listened to Jesus, this wouldn't have been the first time he's talked about the Holy Spirit. No. The night that he was betrayed. One of the last messages he taught to them was about this promise, this comforter, the helper, capital H, that would come. That he had to leave. Again, he was telling them, I've got to go, guys. That was our last meal together. And for centuries, it's going to get a nice little ring to it. They're going to call it the Last Supper. It's going to be really cool, you know. But their faces didn't register that they really understood. In fact, they were really sad about the fact that Jesus was going to leave and that his earthly ministry was going to end. And they were having a hard time really getting their minds around it and their hearts around it to really believe it. Because they've had three up-close years of hanging out with Jesus, watching miracles, him freaking them out, scaring them on, the, on that lake. You know, he's walking across the rope. And he's scared. Whoa! You know? But seeing him break bread and feed thousands, how he could preach and command an audience without a microphone. I still am boggled by that, how he could speak to thousands without a microphone. And they would stay for days and follow him to the point where he had to send them home. That one, Jesus was going to leave. And oh, how his disciples ached in their hearts. But he said, it's to your advantage that I go away. I've got to go because if I don't go, he won't come. Yes, the one, the another comforter. And that word in the Greek, another, just means same as. Jesus was going to send a carbon copy of himself to the disciples. 
He said the great thing about his coming is that he won't just be with you like I was with you. He will be in you. And greater things you'll do. Greater things. Not just, I don't think he meant greater as far as status-wise. I mean just in sheer number. Greater things you'll do because now you have God with you always. And the millions of you that will be commissioned for me. But you have to wait for him. I wonder as we close. On your journey. How conscious aware are you daily of the Holy Spirit? I grew up in a tradition where the Trinity, it's not a biblical necessary term, but it's one that we use by tradition. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In that tradition, the, the Trinity was, was really God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. The Holy Spirit, not so much. Uh, you know, the Holy Ghost, woo, you know, a little spooky, you know. I even heard Christian leaders from pulpits preach about the spirit and actually use the idea that he's spooky. That only perpetuates fear of God, an unhealthy fear of God, rather than creating in us a longing for God. Because sisters and brothers, to give you the news, if your life is not connected to the power and person and promises of the spirit, then it's no wonder you feel overwhelmed. When I look at my journey and I think about all of the mistakes and the missings, what was missing was him. I had to confess at one point on my journey, confess to God how little I had made the spirit and not giving him his rightful place. Went to Bible school, and even there, not so much. I mean, that was a course we did, pneumatology, study of the Spirit, but it was only like a few days compared to Christology. My point is this. As you journey with Christ and others, may you be conscious and aware of the presence, the power, and the person of the Holy Spirit without whom you can do nothing, as it says in John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Because, newsflash, Jesus isn't here. I'm just saying. He is seated on the right hand of God, making intercession for us. But God with us now, Emmanuel, is the Holy Spirit. Do you know him? And not just here, intellectually, I mean here, a deeper intimacy in knowing him. So that when you pray, as we'll do today, you are comfortable having conversation with him. You've learned how to listen for his voice. As a sheep, it is imperative that sheep know the voice of the shepherd. We're going to have an extended time of prayer today as tradition uh, for the first Sunday of the month. Just means after communion, we're going to have more worship through song. And we'll have prayer warriors all around the room available for you to pray with.
is God is impressing on your heart, whatever it might be. It may be that, that one thing that's overwhelming you. You need prayer for that. Maybe it's discernment for what God is doing and what season am I in? Is this a season of waiting? Are there things that need to end? I encourage you, identify the season so that you can dress appropriately. The worst thing is to walk off in Minnesota in some flip-flops when it's 20 below. Just saying. Recognize what season of life God has you and know that God is with you. But do you recognize him? Let's pray and prepare our hearts for communion and our time of prayer together. So, oh, gracious God, God with us, mighty spirit, I look to you and will trust you for the things of you that we don't understand. You are mysterious. Your ways are not our ways. But you love us and you care for us so we can trust you. But God, I know my heart at times, and I'm sure there are many here that are guilty of not trusting you, for questioning and doubting you. We can look at the disciples and we can see and wonder how they missed you. But God, here right now, sweet spirit, right now, we miss you every day. We go about our day making plans and making appointments and we have relationships and you are not leading us. We're grieving you so often. Have mercy on us. We confess that we do need you. So will you please open our minds and our eyes so you might see you, the promise that we've been longing for. Will you guide us in our prayer today? Prepare our hearts.